power on. Oh, what a remarkable piece of work. Hmm? Why have I been brought here? Oh, <laughs> the, the voice simulation, it's, it's perfection. The inflections, the timing. Uh, yes, uh, it took great effort, effort, to bring you here. I was sure it'd be worth it. I was right. I've been delivered here against my wishes. I would like to know the reason. Uh, certainly. You have been brought here for my enjoyment and my appreciation. Am I to infer that you intend to keep me captive? Captive, captive. Oh, it's such a inappropriate description. My dear Android, may I call you Data? It is my name. Data, you will be catered to, fond over, cared for, as you never have been before. Your every wish will be fulfilled. I wish to leave. Almost every wish. <laughs> this is unacceptable, sir. I have no desire to remain here, and even if I did, my Starfleet duties would not allow it. It's so single-minded, isn't it? Very persistent. But it's very polite, which is a very nice touch. Um, I decline to allow you to go. Then I am forced to attempt escape. <laughs> uh, ten androids, just like you, might be able to force that thing open. But then again, there aren't any more just like you, are there? It's keyed to galvanic skin responses and uh, DNA patterns. Sorry. Then you will have to open it for me. Oh. Really, I, I wouldn't do that again if I were you. This is a proximity-actuated field. It impedes positron flow. It's very bad for the brain paths in, in the long term. I fail to understand the value you place on my presence. Well, just look around the room. There are items here gathered from half the galaxy. My dear, this is the very first passatile ever created. Hmm. It's very, very ancient, hundreds of years old. Oh, it's priceless. This vase, this vase is made by Mark Off, well, the late Mark Offzell from Siri 4. Uh, Dolly. This, this is the only known Roger Maris trading card from Earth circa 1962. The smell? Bubble gum. I preserved the scent. Ah, uh, uh, what? Ah, uh, a lapling. I thought they were extinct. Extinct. Oh, good. Yes, well, that is what is generally believed. She is the last surviving member of her species. <laughs> They're very defenseless creatures, really. Everything that you see in the room here, everything, one of a kind, unique.
All original. Just as you are. There. That is your place of honor. <laughs> sit, sit. Sit! You think perhaps it might be uncomfortable? But then again, you don't give a thought to comfort, do you? When Paylor Toth learns of that, he'll swallow his tongue with envy. I can't wait to see his face. You, you are um, the crown jewel of my collection. You're a treasure beyond comparison. Yes, go ahead. I think you should be flattered. I am not, sir. And now for another fast-breaking news story, we go to our roving reporter. The podcast, Sovereign Tech. Its host, Dr. Brian Sovereign. The tech giants tried to stop Sovereign Tech. They can't. The man of tomorrow is here. The Golden Stallion, Sab Zoo, the Rated R Radio Star. You pick your name, baby. I'm here for you. And wow. Um, I, uh, by request of Sovereign Tech listeners, uh, this was actually requested in the Sovereign Tech Telegram group. Uh, by request, I, not that they knew how I was going to, uh, uh, what my outlook would be on this certain newer, even though it's not that new, but newer technology. Uh, I am here to pour a metric ass ton of cold water on a lot of people's fever dreams. Basically throughout the month of March, 2021, Um, There has been a certain blockchain uh, capability that has really caught like wildfire. Now, me, as someone who's not on social media at all, uh, for me to even hear about it, I mean, that's that takes a little something extra. Something has to actually be that white hot uh, for for it to really cross my bow because I'm not interested in all the penny any bullshit that happened yesterday that you forgot five minutes after it happened anyway, because you know, your head is never in the game. And and I'm speaking for most people, sovereign tech listeners, you know how beautiful you are, but because most people's heads never in the game, they're never in the moment. They never actually take the time to chew and to analyze things. They just swallow it whole. You know what I'm talking about? whether it's the government or corporate cock or, you know, the pop cock, whatever, I don't know. People just take it. They don't even think about it. As to where me, I'm thinking long game all the time, always thinking long game, which is funny because you get a lot of people who claim to be so hot about things like, uh, capitalism. When frankly, their vision of short-term ROI on just about anything uh, is antithetical to any kind of growth that you might think you could get out of such a system. 
Now, Bitcoin hodlers, different story, right? You're people that are also playing the incredibly long game and bravo. Now, there's an irony in what I'm about to talk about in that it appears to be about the long game and it is being in certain cases sold as the long game. But we are going to get into the reality of the situation. Uh, as far as the long-term viability of what you get access to and as well as where, where does this new tech sit um, or fit, shall I say, into the future that at least certain blockchain technology, uh, say Bitcoin and others, um, you know, we're, we're really pointing at and seeming to head us towards. Now, what I'm talking about here are NFTs. NFT has a name that frankly, I mean, which is kind of rare, <laughs> especially in tech, uh, these days anyway, has a name that makes perfect sense and actually very well describes exactly what it is. NFT just stands for non-fungible token, NFT. And it's a non-fungible token in comparison to, say, a fungible token. A fungible token, like, say, Bitcoin, is something that, you know, you can trade a Bitcoin for a Bitcoin and you're getting, you know, essentially the same thing. As to where with a non-fungible token, it's just what it says. It's non-fungible. There is only one of its kind in existence. It cannot be replicated, duplicated, blah, 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 whatever. Uh, there may be more um, copies, but they're all basically a, or theoretically are a limited run. Okay. They're numbered. Think of them like collectibles, which is what they're basically being used for. We'll talk about that. Think of them like collectibles, like, uh, oh, this is, you know, this gold Batman figure for, you know, the, I don't know, whatever the, the, the 50th anniversary or something is only one out of 2000. So there's 2000 of them, but each one has a unique numbering and blah, blah, blah. And so supposedly they have value based around the limited nature of it. And, you know, it's non-fungibility. Non-fungibility is basically at the core of the collectibles market, um, the art trade slash market. And non-fungibility in the arts and collectibles market has really been at the core of many uh, businesses being created, a lot of dick measuring and a lot of money laundering. Or I'm getting a little ahead of myself there. Uh, <laughs> well... <laughs> Now, non-fungibility has effectively come to the blockchain space. Now, non-fungibility in the abstract is a form of artificial scarcity. There are a lot of critics about NFTs, and we, as we get into this episode, the technology is something that we can, it's in and of itself, we could rip on very easily, as in its common underlying blockchains, such as Ethereum, Flow, and Tron. Uh, not to say that Bitcoin doesn't have something similar that I'm actually kind of supportive of, supportive of, but we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. But I am letting you know at the onset that the bulk of my concerns around NFTs fall under more of a philosophical conversation, a philosophical bent, or at least philosophy is the best word that I could use. And also it comes down to some of my concerns of what these could end up being and meaning in the future. 
So before we start tearing this ridiculous notion apart, let's talk a little history, shall we? Um, so the first NFTs or things that would be more or less recognized as NFTs would have started around 2015 or so. And these would have been, and, and maybe even more so in 2017, these would be based around ERC 721 tokens, you know, on the Ethereum blockchain and so on. Of course, uh, the flow blockchain kind of, you know, which was also, which was created by the team behind the whole crypto kitties scandal. And I dare say it's a scandal. <laughs> I mean, you only need, boy, you want to talk about history. Look at what crypto kitties did to the Ethereum blockchain. Like I said, we could rip on the technology all day long, but we don't need to do that here. Um, but I do want to discuss a little bit of history. So while you could say that these started, you know, in 2015, you know, maybe picked up a little bit of steam in 2017, as far as being implemented. In fact, it's amazing. There are some NFTs that, and NFT, uh, implementations that had been set up in 2017 that final that didn't take off until literally this month, because this is getting released also in March of 2021. Um, but NFTs, or at least the abstract concept actually goes back a little bit further. And it does start with Bitcoin with an idea that I am, I'm actually a fan of. Um, and that was colored coins. Colored coins were basically taking advantage of some of the metadata of the Bitcoin blockchain and really like building a almost a meta ledger, I, I think is a good term for it. But building a meta ledger on top of the ledger that is the Bitcoin blockchain. Now, you had a couple of wallets. I think Prism was one of the original ones. Um, that I really liked at the time. And I reviewed on sovereign tech years ago. I mean, we're talking like 2014 or a little before. Yeah. Around 2014 or so in, in that range. Um, and the idea of colored coins was that it was a way of changing the nature of what a Bitcoin, you know, or however much Bitcoin, you know, basically what Bitcoin data, whether it's Toshi, blah, 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 what that could represent meaning it could represent something other than money. Perhaps it could represent ownership of, well, your car, of your house. Um, and there would be ways of basically transferring a uh, title or transferring ownership. However, you know, whatever terms you want to use. And, you know, this can get into massive economic conversations, which we might get into a little bit over the Bitcoin blockchain. Now the notion of basically the, the money that being Bitcoin. Okay. The money also being the now, cause the beauty of Bitcoin, right. And the brilliance of Bitcoin in an internet connected world, please pay attention to the, me clarifying that Bitcoin's value in an internet connected world. Okay. In a world where buying and selling is done and trading is done on the internet. In that world, okay, we're clear. That's the world we're talking about. The real world, whatever, but we're talking about this world. In the internet world, the money also being the transmitter, like I, I always use this example and I didn't create it, but you know, it, my exa the example I like to use is that Bitcoin is the dollar and PayPal in one fuck PayPal, but you get the point. It's the transmitter and the dollar and the money at the same time. Now that's brilliant. Okay. And it's also, it's intrinsic value. 
is that, you know, everybody says, oh, Bitcoin has no intrinsic value. No, that that's outrageous in the internet connected world and realm. Okay. In that age, uh, it absolutely has intrinsic value because the intrinsic value is that it is the pony express. It is the, uh, it's the post office. Okay. It's the postal service and money at the same time. It's intrinsic value is that transmission that it's the network. That's the intrinsic value. And of course that has intrinsic value, especially since that transmission does not require, uh, server farms. I'm not saying it doesn't use it. Of course it does, but it doesn't require it. Those are two very different things. Now move that all inclusiveness, that all inclusive ledger, you know, or include, move that into other avenues, not just money, but as in the transmission of, you know, proof of say ownership and other things like that, that gets very interesting as well. Okay. It becomes a verification system for items. Perhaps you have in the real world, arguably it could become a verification symbol for access to digital items, which is basically what NFTs are while managing default risk via the immutable quote unquote immutable ledger of the Bitcoin blockchain. So now the idea of colored coins via Bitcoin, um, the idea of that representing, you know, your ownership in some way. And, you know, if we wanted to go into certain futures that I'm not really interested in, but if you wanted to go into certain, you know, like future versions of society where that colored coin could be connected, say to uh, the keys to your car and thus only those, you know, that key fob, that has that colored coin stored on it or whatever, you know, could, could turn on your car, like proving your ownership of it and keeping other people from stealing it, even though we know that it wouldn't, I mean, people are going to hotwire cars into eternity, frankly, or maybe in eternity, it'll, it'll be, you know, starfighters or something. I don't know, which great, <laughs> but regardless. Okay. Uh, you know, like, like that kind of idea where, where the, the coin is, is the transmission and the ledger and the proof of ownership of certain things like uh, physical things, you know, I don't necessarily have any, any issue with that. Now, I mean, you run into problems in the concept of title of ownership. Okay. Um, which is probably part of the reason that colored coins may not have taken off. But I mean, you could do, so. there's a lot more that you could do with colored coins. It doesn't just have to be like, you know, showing ownership of, of real world things, but this was an idea that people certainly had. I mean, the problem of title, of course, gets into the, you know, the old analogy that I use, and this is true for, this is true for, you know, systems of law. It's true for blockchains where a person has to recognize that blockchain is being applicable and valid to them for them to give a shit about what your blockchain says you own. Right. And if they don't agree with your blockchain and under what rules do they have to agree to your blockchain? They don't. I mean, we, we don't need to get into a conversation around natural rights here or the bullshit of them. We'll save that for another time, but we, we should get into that again. Again, I've been speaking out against natural rights since the show started. Uh, so, <laughs> I mean, frankly, <laughs> colored coins are more real than natural rights. It's like, well, show me where the colored coins are. Oh, I see they're in your wallet. Okay. Well, where are the natural rights? Where are they? Do you, do you see them? Are they, are they anywhere around? Can, I mean, can you like, can you get a ruler out and show me where those are? Oh, they're nowhere. Okay. 
so they don't exist. Anyway, moving on. That's not the only critique against those. I, we don't need to go there. But I, like I said, the show will, this episode will get somewhat philosophical. Um, so regardless of that, I bring all this up just to say that colored coins were at least palatable to me. NFTs, however, are not for multiple reasons. So there have been many uh, cases where millions of dollars have been spent uh, on one NFT. Again, the T stands for token. So it's just one token. Uh, there is the uh, band Kings of Leon, which who knew they were even still a thing and who cares? And in my mind, they're still not a thing, even if they came out with an NFT. Now, they weren't the first ones to come out with an NFT, even though they like to claim that they were, but that doesn't matter. Um, so basically, I mean, maybe they're the best example to to bring up, okay, is is the, this Kings of Leon, their, their latest album, which came out earlier in March. Uh, what the hell did they title that thing? The title is when you see yourself, that's the title of the album. So it's an 11 track album, you know, it's a rock album. I mean, I'd call it pop. I don't even know if I'd want to call it rock, uh, but regardless they were selling, um, and there were a few different packages that they did basically, cause this is going to explain how NFTs work. And then we're going to tear these things apart. So what they did was that you could go to their, their website or whatever portal that they happen to use. A lot of NFTs are being sold on a site called OpenSea, which it's OpenSea.io, which is kind of like an eBay. I mean, not, not necessarily as an, an auction site, but it's a marketplace for NFTs. There's others. We'll talk about how you can make NFTs. I'm not telling you to do so quite the opposite, but you know, we'll, we'll go over it. Um, so anyway, so you could go to, you know, whatever portal that they put you through for the NFTs. And actually, I think they might have, they might've had you go through OpenSea for this, but you would buy, uh, Kings of Leon's, uh, their album. Okay. And I think it was like 50 bucks for, for a package. And what you got, and there what was, it? I think there was only 2000 of them that, that were sold, uh, this way, or maybe it was 1600. Anyway, they, they made a limited number of these and I think it was around 2000. And so you would buy for 50 bucks. And of course you'd have to do that in Ethereum, right? Um, and if, you know, if it was a different blockchain than whatever the, uh, the token currency is, you know, on that blockchain, but it equated to $50. Okay. And I think specifically like OpenSea and most people that are selling these are recommending using uh, MetaMask, which is an extension for Chrome. I mean, that kind of calls the bullshit right there, but whatever. I mean, there's other wallets that, that can handle NFTs as well, of course. So here's the deal. All right. So you spent the 50 bucks you, or, you know, the, the $50 in ETH, it went through all the stuff, whatever goes to, you know, to the Kings of Leon somehow, whatever the, the cut was that, that all the different portals and, and everybody involved took, you get the NFT. Okay. Uh, as far as like what happened to the NFTs, say if they didn't sell all 2000, uh, the rest were going to get burned, meaning that they were going to get deleted forever. So, you know, 10 years from now, if they didn't happen to sell 2000 of them, the, or I think they sold at least 1600, they probably sold out because they were only selling them. The Kings of Leon were only offering them for two weeks. Um, but after that two week period, they'd burn what it was ever left because, you know, they, they, they had a limited release window, which makes them feel extra special, even though they're already limited. And, you know, this way, 10 years from now, nobody else could buy it, even though yes, 
you, as I understand it, you can sell your, I mean, which is where this whole market comes from is that you, you yourself, if you bought the Kings of Leon, uh, NFT for their latest album, you could trade slash sell that to somebody else, but then you lose it once you sell it. Like you don't get to keep a copy though. <laughs> you do get to keep a, 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 well, everybody gets to basically can keep a copy of whatever is behind the NFT. We'll talk about that. So what do you get with this package that you bought from Kings of Leon with, uh, you know, as an NFT? Well, you get 11 MP3 files, right? It's an 11 track album. Okay. Uh, you get some, uh, collectible digital collectible album artwork, right? Like some GIFs and, and everything, and maybe the cover art and, and all that jazz, you get access to that. You get access to the MP3s, very particular word. You get access. And, uh, I guess to, to kind of make it a little more real, um, they also sent out a limited edition, uh, vinyl version of the album and, you know, vinyl is, you know, like wildfire in the music community right now. I, I can't get back into that or I, I was never really into it just because it's, it's not as interesting when they're not doing quadraphonic. Right. So uh, I don't really give a shit about vinyl, but I understand, you know, I have lots of, I know there's people who are deeply passionate about it and I do understand where they're coming from. Cause I feel the same way about like Blu-rays and other things, but regardless. Okay. So you do get something physical out of it. So it's not a total ripoff. Right. And that gets mailed to you. Now let's talk about the rest of the content included. Now, I mean, there are other packages too, and this is where it gets into the long-term uh, uh, play of some of these NFTs, because there were, you could bid on certain NFTs th through the Kings of Leon that would give you access to like front row seats at every tour that they go on into perpetuity. So I guess you better hope that they live a good long while. <laughs> But that, that, that's a whole side subject. And I don't think most people are interested in that. Most people are wondering, wait, really? Like, what do I get when I buy an NFT? What's the access that I get? Okay. And then we'll talk about how these get made. So here's the rub with the, with NFTs is that all it is, is what I was talking about earlier. Ultimately, all it is, is proof of ownership of, you know, some form of digital, digital art and collectible, Right. That's all it is. It's not actually like when you buy the NFT, you're not literally buying like the NFT itself. That data is not the Kings of Leon album. Okay. Um, in fact, there are videos like videos that have sold for, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of dollars as NFTs. Now it's not the actual video. And, and, and here's the, here's, here's the most, one of the, perhaps the most insulting part is that. <laughs> You can go on YouTube and watch and download as a matter of fact, with the right extension, especially if you're not using Chrome, uh, that very video that everybody else paid or whoever else, whatever, either one person or a limited group of people paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to get the NFT to have access to that video. I mean, that makes no sense whatsoever, but let's, let's save that conversation. Okay. I know art and I know people like to claim that art is subjective and that's where the value comes in. We'll, we'll get into that too. Okay. <laughs> but here we go. So here's the problem is that a lot of these NFTs ultimately just represent 
a URL, like a literal traditional web address. That's, that's all that they represent. And so the irony is, and, and, and I think that this is true for, um, for the Kings of Leon album. The irony is, is that, you know, if a server goes down, you could, I mean, and, and in, the, in the future, you know, I mean, cause I think again, a lot of people, as they like to do with art and collectibles, they like to get speculative, right? Like with, uh, with baseball cards. In fact, a lot of people, this is a fair, uh, analogy. A lot of people are comparing them to, to trading cards, you know, like that's the best way to understand, um, NFTs. Like if, if Bitcoin is digital gold, NFTs are digital baseball cards. <laughs> okay. And, and, and that's, that is a good way of putting it. I think, um, anyway. So the irony is, is that, you know, just about anybody who owns an NFT is really in danger of losing access to whatever the fuck that NFT represents. If, if a website goes offline, a traditional website goes offline or goes offline, none of this, this is a, this is, this has to be made abundantly clear. And most of the stories that I've been reading online do not bring this point up. You've got a lot of sites getting into, oh, there's environmental concerns because the server load for ETH and blah, blah, blah. And, okay. Of course, nobody complains about Netflix's server load, but when they should, like I always say, you know, any environmentalist who has a Netflix account, uh, is, is a hypocrite and a liar. <laughs> They're just, they are, they are full of shit. Do not tell me you care about the environment and, and, or, and sure as fuck, don't go complaining about Bitcoin or whatever other blockchain that, you know, that's making some serious iron go round and round and being bad for the environment when you are fucking streaming 4k video. And I mean, you're doing, <laughs> you talk about pushing big iron, you're pushing big iron more than, than probably most blockchains combined. So you can just go shit yourself, but uh, a very valid argument here against NFTs is that none of this, none of the, the, the goodies as it were that the NFT represents is actually stored on the blockchain. And this has been, I'll take a moment here to, to, to rip on the tech. This has been my problem with library with, uh, I mean, and like the idea of, you know, storing like online data, like what Jack Dorsey sold a tweet, you know, I mean, that's funny. Like, again, that that's not anything new. Like Alexandria was doing a far better job and, and was working on that years ago. Alexandria, the, you know, the, the blockchain project. Um, but my problem with like a lot of these other blockchains that have been like, oh yeah, we're going to be the decentralized YouTube. We're going to do this. They're not storing that fucking data on the blockchain. It's not actually decentralized. They're full of shit. It doesn't excite me at all. Okay. And it's not like I'm saying, so figure it out. No, I, I will gladly tell these people you can't do video on blockchain. You can't like th th that's just against the speed, the nature of, and I think the very proper, uh, and, and futuristic nature of store and forward of data. You can't not, not, not at streaming speeds. No way. Sure. You can send the whole video over, but man, anyway, so none of this shit is actually on the blockchain and what your NFT represents, you could effectively lose you know, basically at any time. Now, I think this is something that people are working on. Like, you know, interestingly, so th there's, there's apps that, what is it? The sing app. And that's S with like an exclamation point NG where that lets you 
create in the app, at least on iPhone, I think, um, or on iOS that lets you create within the app an NFT. It can't be bigger than 30 meg in size. I mean, so it's not like it's impossible as long as it's that's something, you know, smaller, like a smaller file. It's not impossible for, for it to exist on the blockchain. And certainly with the popularity of NFTs, yes, I, I think, you know, varying blockchains are working on, okay, how can we, you know, ensure the long-term viability and access of content that, that NFTs represent. But then to me, like that's, that just calls bullshit on the whole thing right there is that the NFT itself is not the work of art or the collectible itself. I well, okay. The NFT, the, the number, the, uh, the hash of the NFT is collectible, right? Because it represents, or at the very least, you know, it can represent whatever the thing was, be it the Kings of Leon album or whatever, even if you lose access to it, the NFT could still be considered, well, this was the first NFT uh, that represented a piece of digital art, or this was the first NFT that that represented the very first single released in whatever year and blah, blah, blah. So, I, I mean, you could say that there's a collectability in the hash, uh, you know, like the numeric value of the hash itself, but j- that's just it. It's just the numeric value of the hash. And I, I just, I, I want to say to you that I can't imagine anybody giving that much of a shit about a, you know, like, like a, a fucking has been throwaway band like Kings of Leon, but no, there probably people are who, who are crazy about them in such a way that they pay millions of dollars for the number one hash, uh, you know, NFT, even if it doesn't have access to the album and probably even if you don't have the vinyl record anymore that came along with it, you know, that got, that got mailed to your door. Um, so let's talk a little bit about how, what's one process that you can go through to, to create this. Okay. Uh, a popular service that people are using, like I mentioned, there's apps that have, you know, totally jumped in on this craze and they are cre- allowing you within the app to generate NFTs and like o- upload them to OpenSea, you know, or whatever. Uh, so you could, uh, another popular service for this is called Rarible. R-A-R-I-B-L-E. If I remember, I'll put all these links in the show notes, even though really they should just be as warning signs, not as something you actually click on. Uh, so rarible.com, uh, is, you go there and there's just a, you, right at like the top of the site, there's a create button. You hit create, um, then it will, and, and you can do like a single or multiple collectible, meaning that you could put like one MP3 file, or if it fits within the 30 megabyte limit, which Rarible also has kind of like the Sing app that I was mentioning. Um, it can, you know, you, you could put in multiple MP3 files, which in 30 megs, yeah, you could pull that off um, and, you know, put up a whole album or something. So you'll do that. Uh, you can upload, I think they allow for a PNG, a GIF file, an MP3, and then some other file types. Um, again, the, the cap is 30 megabytes. So then you hit that, it starts uploading. You can, uh, enter the price for what you want. You know, how much ether do you want it to be for? Say it's like 0.5 ether. Okay. And they charge a service fee of 2.5%. You click put on sale, you name the NFT and you give it a description. Uh, then you can choose, you can set up like what you want your royalties to be around it. So this sets up royalties. Uh, you'll, 
And again, because of that, you keep getting paid if it resells on a secondary market, which that's kind of interesting that it does allow you to, you know, as it gets sold to other individuals, you still get, you know, you still get some royalties from that and whatever you set that to be. Now, obviously you can't set the, you you wouldn't want to set the royalties too high because then the uh, incentives for someone to want to sell it on a secondary market, you know, wouldn't be there as strongly. This, this ability here, right here, the setting of royalties is the one place where you could almost make an argument for why this is a good idea. Almost. I still don't think it's a good idea, but this is one of the more interesting things that it does within a distributed ledger and an immutable one at that, or quote unquote immutable. And if you're wondering why I keep saying quote unquote immutable, uh, especially with Ethereum, well, you know, how many millions of dollars have to get, uh, <laughs> quote unquote stolen. And I put that in quotes for Vitalik to want to rewrite history on the blockchain. Hmm. Oh, you forgot about the DAO hack state farm remembers. <laughs> ah, immutable <laughs> moving right along. <laughs> I mean, what happens if there's like a really great NFT sale, right? And then Vitalik just wakes up one day or whoever wakes up one day and says, oh, that sucks. Let's rewrite history. And, uh, well, that never happened on the Ethereum blockchain. Woo! But anyway, I'll give at least the royalties aspect of this neat trick. Okay. I'll give it that title again, not necessarily new either, but Neat trick. Uh, so then uh, you have to connect your, uh, again, if you're using Rarible here, we'll keep going with the process. Um, you'll want to connect your wallet that gets set up on Rarible with MetaMask. You pay the gas fee, right? Um, which depending upon how much you're selling it for, you know, can be, you know, whatever the percentage is there. Uh, you click start and boom, it, it, it away it goes. Okay. And you sign into MetaMask and your NFT is out there and who knows how much money that you end up making off of it over the lifetime of the NFT. And people can buy, I don't know, your photo, your artwork, your MP3 file, blah, blah, blah. But again, largely depending on what it is, it's not actually stored on the blockchain. So it's not really protected. Like the, the content is not protected by the blockchain itself. And that's a problem. And let's understand this. I mean, the biggest names, the biggest players in the world, uh, in content and art and whatever else are absolutely involved with this with major auction houses, you know, not the little guys, major auction houses. Fuck. And I hate to say it, but I mean, I know he's the kind of guy that's always been, or has always enjoyed being in on uh, bleeding edge technology. In fact, he's even basically made, I guess, made an AI of himself, but that's, uh, that's another story. Um, but William Shatner sold a set of trading cards, ironically, <laughs> as, as NFTs. One of them, I think, was even an X-ray of his uh, teeth, supposedly. So I say this just to bring up that this is not underground uh, by any means. The concept, again, was underground for quite a few years. I mean, look, there are other people. Tokenly, remember they were doing that, where they were literally trying to create tokens that represented um, you know, an album and, you know, content from the artist and everything. And they were even like, they were working, uh, on creating really, you know, a whole platform, um, where, I mean, you could chat, like do all kinds of other things, but really creating an entire platform, um, 
of things you could do, I, you know, via what was more or less an NFT at the time, you know, and that was years ago that that was being worked on. Clearly, if you're to believe the hype of NFTs today, an idea well ahead of its time. And in fact, I even, you know, in that implementation, I, I think I even talked about it um, on Sovereign Tech years ago. But now let's talk about the now. And let's talk about the future. So to really start getting into, I mean, I've, I've already given plenty of critiques throughout this episode so far, but to uh, get into to some of the deeper matters, I'll just say it. This is, you know, blockchain technology really took us, was, was like a, a, a 20, a 20 year leap in tech. You know, it moved us forward that much. Okay. And in many ways realized a lot of dreams that fellow cypherpunks, you know, that we had in the nineties. Okay. And yes, even when I was a teenager and let's be clear, blockchain technology is not the end all be all of technological leaps. There are many more to be had, including in the digital space, but NFTs are a step 20 to 50 years backwards in what block blockchain technology really represented in what not just blockchain technology, but what the, and I don't, not, not the internet, internet connected world, but what the digital world was opening up to human existence. What I am about to say is nothing new for sovereign tech. And when the show talked a lot more about blockchain technology back when it was more underground and it needed people talking about it, um, I would bring these kinds of things up many, many times. I'd even have guests on where we would debate the matter. Um, but I would argue that the digital world calls bullshit on every economic system in existence. Now, what do I mean by that? When I say digital world, basically you pick your 19th century or previous economic model, like capitalism, communism, socialism, go down your isms. And I notice I said 19th century because that's exactly what those are. Those are systems designed, developed long before there was even an automobile, which should really, you know, call out the crap on any of them because none of them could really predict the, or handle or were, developed in mind or, or, you know, grew in mind the immediacy of human contact. That's like, for example, I mean, I hear now, I hear a lot of libertarians saying, oh, uh, oh no, Bitcoin blockchain. Oh, bad idea. No, those, they, they don't, doesn't have any intrinsic value. doesn't have this blah, blah, blah. And of course, libertarians and anarcho-capitalists, they are speaking from the philosophy, the worldview uh, the system, the economic model of capitalism. Okay. And within capitalism, like real raw free market capitalism. Okay. Which doesn't exist anywhere. Not that I have a problem with it existing somewhere in the corner of the universe, but through the goggles of capitalism, of free market capitalism, I understand where they're coming from. And I don't necessarily think that they are wrong necessarily. I think there's ways to twist things to, to have it make sense, but 
I get where they're coming from, but that's the problem is that, you know, so many advancements in technology in the 20th century, not even the 21st within the 20th century, basically call bullshit on every ism that ever existed before then there is, I mean, the, the economic model now, if we were to give it a term, I don't know, call it internetism. I, I don't care. That's why I've been very careful in this episode and in, you know, previous episodes of sovereign tech to say that, you know, this works within an internet connected world. Okay. That's the market we have right now is internetism. And it is something wholly different from communism, from capitalism, from again, pick your ism. But within that ism, Bitcoin works really well. And it works so well because it acts as a redundancy and a bridge. Okay. It is redundant in that it exists. It can exist outside of the network in which it serves, right? That being the internet or World Wide web, whatever. I mean, really though, this is the case where it embraces all protocols of the internet, not just the web, which everybody thinks that the internet's just the web when no, it's, you know, SMTP it's IRC. It's so many other things, but then it's a bridge, a token of representation of what exists in meat space. So it does very well in our internet connected world. It does very well for it. It is literally magic internet money. That's a beautiful term that's been around forever about Bitcoin and it fits it. Exactly. It's as good a name for it as NFT is for NFTs, non fungible tokens. But so here's, here, here's the rub. Okay. So while Bitcoin works very well as a bridge between the internet and meat space and the exchange of value within that. Okay. A bridge between the digital and the physical. Here's the problem. Anything that is digital first or that can sufficiently exist digital alone. Okay. Like digital only say yes. Okay. You have Chicago and I don't mean the city. I mean the amazing band you have Chicago sit down in a studio that's in meat space. They record it. It goes into computers or whatever the original master tapes get, you know, put into a computer. It comes out as uh, whatever kind of audio file waves and get, which get converted into MP3s. They get tossed up onto, you know, the internet, blah, blah, blah. The entirety of that product of creativity. Okay. That work of art or that collectible. If you want to consider like, say, I don't know, a rare studio track that somehow ended up on the internet being, or, you know, studio recording outtake as they would call them, uh, you know, existing, um, being done and then, you know, put on the internet as well. Okay. That the entirety of that work can exist digital only, you know, digital alone. Okay. As to where as much as William Shatner may like to think so his brain really cannot just exist as an AI. <laughs> okay. It's not his brain. You know, when I don't even want to think about William Shatner dying, uh, I've been afraid of that day for so long, uh, happy 90th to him, of course. But, um, you know, when he's gone, he's gone <laughs> like that's it. But something like an ebook, uh, a video file, you know, a movie as an, as a, an MKV, um, a, you know, again, an album and MP3 files and all this stuff, things that are 
you know, again, where the entirety of the experience can exist digitally in digital alone and can be easily copied. And while debatably the hash of the NFT can not be duplicated, the content that it's talking about absolutely can't. I mean, just, just absolutely with a simple keyboard command of, you know, control C and control V quite frankly. And this is a foundational concept within the economic system of internetism is that anything that can exist digital alone cannot be scarce and will not be scarce. There is a force in motion in the universe about creativity where creativity does not like to be hidden behind a bushel. There's, there's an old saying that everything is a remix. Anything that can be copied will be copied. I don't care if it's locked behind an NFT or, or not. And you can see this, this inherent concept at play in where, you know, I mean, like, look at Red Fox, right? You know, what, what did they used to call it? Any DVD or whatever, um, where, where this company was just constantly trying <laughs> and succeeding in besting whatever privacy measures or not, not privacy, uh, piracy measures, anti-piracy measures that, you know, the MPAA or RIAA or whoever would be trying to implement into discs. There are so many aspects of the human, uh, of the human condition that, you know, when, when you get met with a challenge like that, it's like, you know, putting, putting the, <laughs> like the latest and greatest locking mechanism in front of, you know, in front of somebody who not, not doesn't even have to be a thief, just somebody, a security professional, somebody who just has that need to solve the Rubik's cube, that need to figure out how this lock can be opened, etc. right? I mean, you just, that, that, that need to solve puzzles that is a part of, uh, you know, many people, I'm not going to say all, but many people, you know, when they see that challenge of, oh, you can't copy this one. <laughs> Yeah, right. Watch me. That human drive of tell me I can't do it and I'm going to show you how I can. That in itself is an incredibly creative act, which is just being drawn to the more creativity that you're trying to get to. And anyway, that's that's getting very, uh, I don't want to call it <sighs> metaphysical, <laughs> but that's getting into a much higher level than, than I really wanted to here. Okay, I'm bringing all of this up to point out to you that the fact that you can make an exact replica of any work of art that exists in digital form as many times as you want thrashes every economic model in existence other than this theorized internetism. And I'm not saying internetism is some great and grand thing. Please, please don't think I'm a proponent necessarily of it. Okay. Um, I am just saying that, that there needs to be new terms for these things because this 19th century horseshit doesn't apply anymore. Just like concepts of intellectual property don't apply anymore. Nobody is getting stolen from, but yet it is being potentially owned and spread to everybody, but nobody, there is no theft occurring, right? Because nobody has lost anything. And this is for me, the biggest problem with NFTs is that it is taking us 
really 50 years, hell, it's taking us 150 years back in time. The digital world shows us how we can all enjoy all the great works of art that humanity, all the, all the creativity that humanity, you know, puts on display, um, you know, that, that all of that is possible. And then some, some fucking slap nuts says to themselves, well, you know what? We need to lock that back down. We can't just let anybody, you know, listen to this song or, you know, view this picture or, you know, whatever the content happens to be that they are locking up. And that's exactly what they're doing is they're locking it back up. Um, they are trying. I mean, this is why I think, again, NFTs, once I guess whoever figured it out, figured it out. Once the industry, uh, especially, you know, the entertainment industry and go as big as you want on that, once they have figured out that they could reintroduce scarcity. Well, this is why in, in no time, again, once it was figured out, everybody, you know, everybody's jumping on board with this. Everybody from Kings of Leon to William Shatner, to Jack Dorsey, to whatever artist to, you know, take your pick. The industry has no problem with it. You know, uh, I mean, Christie's is ready to sell. I mean, it's, it should bother you alone at how quickly this was ad adopted by the mainstream. I mean, you could say that Bitcoin's adopted in the mainstream now, but it took, it took over a decade for that to happen, right? That didn't happen overnight as to where NFTs happened overnight. That should bring you pause. Like, wait, if the system likes it, should I? I say this all the time on Sovereign Tech. Information likes to be free. It will push itself to get free <laughs> somehow. Or again, just the, the, the art of challenge that, that humans embrace, uh, you know, causes it to, to, to be so. And then there's just a million factors behind that. And I mean, this is something else I've argued many times is that at the very heart of the human condition is the creation of art and the transmission of information. I mean, why do we, you know, why did we go thousands of years um, I mean, you, you know, you read like the older stories, hell go, go ahead and pick up Torah if you want, fine, pick up Torah and like read how guests were treated, you know, when they, they go to Abraham's encampment or something like that. I mean, you, you know, they, they kill the biggest, the, the fattest calf, right? Um, I mean, they roll out the red carpet as it were. It's because there used to be so few of us human beings, right? There used to be so few of us. And whenever we encountered another one of us, we're a social species. We were just dying to hear the stories. We were dying to get more information and to be entertained by that. At the very core of our sociability is art and information. That's why it wants to be free because we, or at least healthy human beings are hungry for it. You understand? So if art and information are at the core, at the heart of being a human being, okay. And the natural state of a human being is anarchism, which it is. Then what do you think that the antithesis of anarchism, which is authoritarianism would feel about art and information being out there and freely available? Well, it would hate it. And so it comes as no surprise that authoritarians love the concept of NFTs because it, it locks the box. 
it locks it back up and it keeps the plebes or, you know, it makes it so that, so that, uh, you know, you, they can milk the plebes for all they're worth. And that's why I say that this is taking us 150 years backwards because we finally started opening shit up, right? The digital world finally saw information get out there, you know, and and art get out there and everybody could consume it so quickly and blah, blah, blah. And look, even if it is through Netflix or Spotify or whatever, you can get it at an incredibly low price. Uh, I mean, you know, it's getting to, it, it was getting to the point of, basically, you know, near zero marginal cost, right? And all it takes is for you to see, you know, when, when any of these streaming services just raise their rates by a dollar, like Disney plus, and suddenly they lose a hundred million subscribers or however many, right? Because people, it's not that they don't see the value in the art, in the creation, in the information. It's that, wait a minute. No, I like this stuff should be practically free. Now, and I know, look, I understand the economics uh, or the real world economics of, well, you know, the server's got to feed this stuff out there. That's not free. Yeah, I get that. But the content itself effectively is other than, you know, the, the, the energy cost say of, you know, what it takes to run a computer and all these other things. But I mean, you know, then if if we want to get into fanciness, I mean, we could say, well, you know, we could, we could talk about solar powered devices, um, you know, that, that, that could whatever transmit or, uh, uh, you know, allow you to consume said content, said digital content. And then in effect it is free, but we're missing a lot of terms for all this stuff. And so that that's where I think a lot of confusion settles in, but the confused, there is no confusion in the fact that we were opening up the human condition closer to a, uh, I, I, I usually bristle at the, 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 you know, arguing from a state of nature, but we were getting closer to genuine anarchism with the free availability of art and information. And then for NFTs to swoop in and lock it all down just puts us, puts all of that back under authoritarian control. Now I know that that's getting, that's very philosophical stuff. And we didn't even get into the philosophical deconstruction. And I use the term deconstruction of the concept of intellectual property itself, right? You can't actually own an idea. Uh, so, which is basically where all creativity spring, uh, you know, springs from. But there are people who do a far better job of attacking intellectual property and the, and the problems around that very concept. Um, I'm not going to do that here. But even on just a practical level, okay, not all content is can suddenly become an NFT, even if you thought it was a good idea, because the blockchain itself couldn't handle it. The network can't, you know, or like the the uh, the fiber right <laughs> that transmits the blockchain around the world can't handle that much data. I mean, it's it's just it's not possible. But I want to spring two more ideas on you as to what I think that this is really all about and what the excitement around this is all about. Now, the first one has to do with the art market in general. Okay. And I mean, like, you know, your Van Gogh's and your Da Vinci, uh, you know, your, your autographs as it were, um, you know, by those creators. Uh, and when I say autographs, I mean, originals and so on. Um, 
this is something a lot of people uh, don't realize. So Bitcoin, let, let, let's talk, or cryptocurrencies in general, let's talk about cryptocurrencies. Are cryptocurrencies ever going to, you know, are like, cause a lot of, I know a lot of people are saying, well, NFTs, it's uh, you know, it, it's the, it's tulips again, right? It's tulip mania all over again. And a lot of people said that about Bitcoin as well. Um, NFTs might end up being tulip mania. Okay. Just like in a world without so much authoritarianism, um, I would argue that cryptocurrencies could eventually have become a, a tulip mania. Now I'm not saying that in a anarchist paradise that somehow there wouldn't be cryptocurrencies that, that that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that I don't think NFTs are going to go away as horrible an idea as they are. And I'll explain why, but it's for the same reason that I don't think cryptocurrencies will ever go away. The reason that I've always been very confident, especially in Bitcoin is because do you, do you want to know who, and I don't, I don't even, I, I don't, I don't even have to say the statement. I think, do you know who's probably well, this is the part where I do it. I have to say, I probably hear, but then the second half of it, there's no probably probably the number one user of Bitcoin is the CIA. They love the idea of money that doesn't have to, that they can transfer without having it having to go to Western union or do whatever. I mean, now Bitcoin has become, you know, such a market force in and of itself in our internet connected world that, you know, it's not something that's really, you know, in their control, uh, by any stretch and by sheer force of personality of its community is now in the mainstream. And I, I think there's, there's other reasons that Bitcoin, you know, has become, or has reached, you know, the highs uh, that it has in 2021. Uh, part of me, I think, and we talked about this years ago. In fact, it was based off of conversations that Douglas Rushkoff had with a lot of tech CEOs and, and that type and investors was that they were excited. You had all, I mean, we're, and we're talking three, four years ago, a lot of them were excited about Ethereum, Bitcoin, and so on and cryptocurrencies in general, because they felt like it was a hedge against what they saw to be at some point, uh, a revolt of the plebs, you know, a revolt, uh, an economic revolt and that it would store value. And I think a lot of people, I mean, that just doesn't exactly answer right now. Uh, I mean, I think Bitcoin's value at the moment, a lot of it came from a lot of investors being terrified that when, you know, Trump is going to be leaving office that me, he might've gone so far as to, you know, not leave office and who knows what the fuck could have happened. You know, what kind of junta or who knows? Um, and that there wouldn't be a greenback come end of January. And so they wanted their money somewhere else, <laughs> or at least a portion of it. Uh, like I, I really feel that they were hedging against basically revolution. And now that didn't happen at all. So why is it still going on? Well, I mean, what ended up happening is, is you have, you know, uh, uh, I mean, they're all presidents, so they're, they're all, you know, idiots, but you had, you know, the idiots in office now, uh, pushing for what, a, I don't know, a $2 trillion fucking, you know, package bill. Uh, relief bill and quote unquote relief bill. I mean, yeah. Why would you leave your, 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 you know, why would you leave your, your store of value of wealth 
in a monetary system, the U.S. dollar, that that suddenly lost value by two trillion dollars, more or less, you know. So I get it. OK, but so, I mean, that, that's that's part of what's behind now. But even when Bitcoin was only valued at twenty dollars. I saw the real world use, or should I say the use by the everyday person and the beauty of it. Okay. As many others did, obviously I'm not alone, nor am I any kind of, you know, grand visionary in that sense. Um, you know, I, I got it like, oh, great. This is a non-government currency. Well, guess who else loves a non-government currency? The fucking government loves it, right? Because they get to do all their shady shit outside of their own monetary system. And so that's why I've always felt, yeah, cryptocurrencies are never going to go away because this is just, this is too useful to the powers that be. That doesn't, it's not an argument against using cryptocurrencies. I'm just saying, understand that, you know, when, when you make something, a, a dumb tool, you don't know whose hands are going to grab it. And I don't say dumb as a pejorative either. I say dumb, actually that's a positive uh, sense, the opposite of smart as in like dumb phones are better than smartphones. Okay. Uh, the dumber the currency, the better it is than any smart currency say, I don't want a currency that cares who has it. So now I bring this up in that I think NFTs will be the same deal. Ever since I was a kid, like I just, I never, ever, I never understood why people could make these, you know, and I'm, when I say art, I'm talking about actual paintings here where, where people could make these like ridiculous paintings that made no sense. You know? Yeah. I mean, I have, you know, in my subjectivity towards art, I, I have a subjectivity towards realism. Okay. Where it emulates reality that, because I like seeing human skill. Um, but you know, especially in the nineties, it seemed like there was this real passion. And I know it had been going since the sixties, at least. And even before where there was like just this, this real passion for very weird abstract art. Um, I, that's not where my passion within art comes from or, or, you know, leans towards, but okay, whatever it exists. It's a thing. I get it. But I just, I never understood it. I didn't get it. Like somebody would say, oh, well, this is a painting of a dying bat. And you wouldn't see anything that looked like a bat and you wouldn't see there might not even be barely a couple lines say on the, on the canvas and that canvas, you know, that, that supposed work of art would sell for $20 million. And it's like, wait, that doesn't make any fucking sense. Like, yeah, I get that art is subjective, but come on, that that's pushing it. Well, fast forward to a, uh, a, a little meaner and a little older version of Brian Sovereign. And I discover, oh, and of course I'm not the only one to know about this and you can read about it. I discover that much of the art and actually a collectibles market as well, including antiquities is actually has nothing to do with the art, the collectible or the antiquity. It has to do with money transmission, money laundering. Okay. If we were to speak within the legal paradigm that we exist within, uh, the legacy legal paradigm that we exist within. And that's why I think NFTs, that's another reason that a lot of people have suddenly become really excited about this because this becomes another way for pick your term, the 1%, the Uber rich, the, you know, the skeezy, I don't care what, you know, or maybe you think they're heroic. Okay. Um, this becomes another Avenue where 
you can, and I mean, and, and include in like the royalties option. And, and that gets into some really interesting spaces on how you could basically do money laundering. I think NFT is going to become the digital replacement for verification of money laundering that was originally just done by, you know, Southby's or, you know, Christie's or, or I don't know, whatever international, you know, auction house. Uh, but most of these massive auction houses are basically just, and, and, and I think plenty of governments know it, you know, are basically just money laundering uh, operations. They're not really about the actual antiquities, collectible or art. And that's why I don't think NFTs are going to go away because this is just, this is too enticing for that group of people to be able to move money uh, and for people not to realize what it's really about. And we'll just sit here and say, wow, I can't believe that Beeble piece of art went for however much money. Okay. And, and you know, and, but then, then it'll keep happening and wow, I can't believe how much that, that, I don't know, piece of shit GIF that, that was made that that somehow sold for, you know, a hundred million dollars. How the hell did that happen? Who was even the person that created that? Blah, blah, blah. Um, but it was actually, you know, ultimately, uh, it was, you know, a money laundering scheme because that's what most of the high value, you know, art business was all about as well as money laundering. Now, I mean, let me be clear here. Yes. Among the wealthy, there is also this desire for uniqueness, right? Because when you can buy anything, when you have that much money, the only thing that holds value is that which is rare or unique. And so there is a, I mean, there's a genuine like ownership attraction to this as well, which I think comes from some very strange mentalities and is really being stuck within legacy paradigms and legacy isms. In fact, if we were to put, you know, capitalism, communism, and all these other isms into one term, maybe we would put that, call it legacyism. Okay. You'd have all the, you know, all these people who are so hot about legacyism and trying to enjoy things within that instead of embracing the human condition and the potential future human flourishing that comes with the opening of art and, and opening of art and information. And it's ready, readily, you know, it's, uh, instant or at least readily, uh, availability, ready availability, I should say. I mean, you're just, you're, you're mentally stuck in the past. I'd call you a Neanderthal, but that'd be an insult to Neanderthals. And theoretically they were smarter than we are. I mean, you take these guys for an example, you take these asshats that, um, you know, like they have, I don't know, some rare arcade cabinet, right. That maybe only five of them were ever made. Uh, it's not like Polybius or anything, but, but you know, <laughs> if that even exists, um, but you know, they have some rare arcade cabinet and like, they're terrified that somebody's going to come in, make a copy of the board within the art, you know, or basically download the, the, you know, the ROM effectively for lack of a better term, the ROM from the, from their board and make it available on the internet. Because once it's available on the internet, once that, that, that rare arcade game is available to be played in MAME, it becomes meaningless to or like its value drops significantly. I mean, there's still value in having the actual arcade machine, but then, you know, it goes from being worth, you know, a hundred thousand dollars to maybe being worth a hundred dollars. And they know that, and they're terrified of that. But then that kind of proves my point is, so what's the actual value of 
the, of the work of art, that being the arcade cabinet. It's in the ROM. And if suddenly the value goes down because a bunch of people can play the ROM on MAME, then what's the, what is the, the, what's, I mean, that's price discovery happening, right? Right. My marketeers, that's price discovery. So the actual value of it isn't a hundred thousand dollars. The hundred thousand is, is, is a totally artificially propped value and expand that away from even arcade cabinets and go into all kinds of areas of the modern world. And everything's being artificially held up. And that's what people don't want to admit. That's what the system, the legacy system doesn't want to admit is that everything has changed. And so something comes around like NFT that says, oh, we can claim scarcity and we can claim ownership and blah, 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 you know, with this and it's immutable and yada, yada, yada. And all of that, I mean, they're just on board. They're ready to jump on it because it, it, it artificially re enables and reestablishes their authoritarianism, their power, their control. But again, that power and control is actually all, all artificial. And it's right in front of your face because you can buy the NFT for that video for, I don't know, $70,000, but then you can go and download it for free on YouTube. It's bullshit. And instead of embracing a system that, you know, just keeps locking down creativity and keeps locking down content or, you know, creates an artificial scarcity. Let's embrace a system that just opens it all up and that embraces you know, creativity itself. And you can say, well, yeah, but you know, this is going to help people because frankly, uh, if, you know, if, if they couldn't get paid for it, they wouldn't make the art in the first place, music, whatever it happens to be. Well, then you know what? That's not really creativity. That's a job. That's work. Real creativity is something that comes from the heart. Now, I remember there was a great interview with Frank Zappa where Zappa was saying, in fact, I think he might've even used the term dumb money in the interview where he was saying, he's like, cause we were so far better off when we just had these like old millionaire guys who were just throwing around money. Oh, that sells a few thousand copies. Great. Okay. Yeah. You know, go for it. And, and whatever, they made some kind of return back on it. He said, we're there, that, that artists, you know, musicians specifically were far better under that system where there was just dumb money kind of being thrown around than when the savvy people came in and were trying to figure out, okay, what sells the most? What does this blah, 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 blah. Because that's when it became, that's when it really became a business. That's when it really became a job and work. And instead of it being the expression of human creativity, like what Zappa was talking about was happening previously. And I think that boy, fuck, I mean, I, we could get into a whole conversation around music and modern music today. And I, I mean, that, that, that point is just absolutely proven. I think, I mean, you know, should artists get paid? Can they get paid? Absolutely. Of course you can. And I'll pay you. And I do pay. <laughs> I mean, look, all you gotta do is look at my collection to see, but I'm only going to pay if I, if I feel, if I see that passion, I only want to pay for that passion where you're trying to speak to me, where we're discovering each other through what you created, not because it's the latest, you know, Marvel movie made by an, you know, script done by an artificial intelligence, um, you know, or whatever horseshit is getting schlepped on MTV. Oh wait, music television doesn't even play music anymore. What am I talking about? If you really want to, just so we can walk away with something practical, if you really want, okay, to help out artists, 
and to support artists, NFTs are not the way to go. Figuring out micropayments with Bitcoin, okay, and working on that and making that incredibly efficient, that's how artists can get paid, okay? Going in those directions, not locking shit down, but opening up the money more, not using the money to lock down the content. And don't call me a hypocrite because I open this stuff basically. Okay. I have books out there. All of them are DRM free. I don't, I know that they're on, on torn sites and everywhere else. And fuck hell, I might've been the one to upload them there or I might've been one of them. None of my content is behind a paywall anymore. My games, there's no DRM in any of those. Okay. And it basically runs on an operation model on itch.io. Everything that I do is ultimately available for free. Okay. I had my content behind a paywall for a while. And eventually I had uh, a realization, a crisis of conscience. There's a lot of different things that you could call it. And I mean, and I did this years ago. Okay. Where I said, no, that's enough. We're opening this shit up wide open. I am not, this is, this is done out of passion. I am not going to have it locked away. None of it. I practice what I preach and I know it's hard, but it's worth it because I can go to sleep at night. And because I can get on here and I can tell people straight, I can tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. I can express my opinions without fear of retaliation because I know it's coming from my heart, from passion, and that I'm not worried about losing subscribers or, uh, you know, sponsors or whatever else, because the instant you, you have fear around that, then lies creep in and, and falsehood essentially, uh, 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 inauthenticity creeps into what you are creating. Do you understand? And I won't have that. And I sure as fuck am not going to make an NFT I mean, I, I'm not going to support that largely just because it's on Ethereum alone, but no, I hope I've made the arguments pretty clear about why this is a bad idea, why this is not freeing anything. It's not really helping anybody. It's just reestablishing. I mean, because maybe, you know, you're thinking, well, I love how, you know, all these artists on YouTube have for practically nothing been able to suddenly become, you know, these major pop stars or something like Lindsay Sterling. Hey, I love Lindsay Sterling. Fuck me and Ellen. I mean, we've gone to her concerts. I mean, huge fan, huge fans of hers. I'm glad that that can happen, but we loved her music because it came out of passion because she was just doing it because she just fucking loved it, loved performing and was on there. NFTs are not going to bolster that passion. Quite the opposite. These serve no purpose. They take us 150 years backwards when the very technology that they that it claims to be based upon was pushing us forward by decades at least. So if you, I don't know what ism you stick to because I have a lot of different listeners that think a lot of different things. But if you believe in the concept of market forces and of market signals, don't buy into this horse shit. Not for a second. Someone says, oh, you can get it in as, as, as an NFT. And even if it's, even if it's your, your nephew, little Johnny, he wants to sell you his painting for NFT. Just say little Johnny. No, no, look, I'll just give you some Bitcoin or I'll just give you whatever. Okay. And you just send me a copy of that JPG. Okay. You can do it right. Do it straight. Cut out the middleman. 
Because, I mean, I mean the, the, we didn't even get into the problem that ultimately the marketplaces for these things are effectively centralized when this is supposed to all be a decentralized technology. I mean, that's that's crap, too. This NFTs are not a part of the peer-to-peer slash decentralized future. They're just not. So that'll wrap it up for this special. Again, it was requested uh, within the Telegram group. Of course, fantastic conversations and stories getting broken in there all the time. Uh, I highly recommend it's right in the show notes. If you want to find the link for it, all you got to do is have a Telegram account, jump on it, get in there, uh, get in on the action. And of course, lots of sovereign tech to come. Lots of fun things I have planned uh, coming up throughout the rest of 2021. And I will see all of you woo, on the other side. I'm sure whatever it is seems very important to you, but my situation is far more critical. I don't think you are aware of your situation or of how much time has passed. Believe me, I am fully cognizant of where I am and when. It is simply that I have more to protect than a man in your position could possibly imagine. I must contact my lawyer. Your lawyer has been dead for centuries. Yes, of course I know that. But he was a full partner in a very important firm. Rest assured, that firm is still operating. That's what all this is about. A lot has changed in the past 300 years. People are no longer obsessed with the accumulation of things. We have eliminated hunger, want, the need for possessions. We've grown out of our infancy. You've got it all wrong. It has never been about possessions. It's about power. Power to do what? To control your life, your destiny. That kind of control is an illusion.